millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello one and all and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddow and my goodness, this is series 11 of Book Off. How did that happen? Yes, series 11. We are 11 series old or 110 episodes old, whichever you think sounds younger. And as always, I want to thank you for choosing Book Off for your listening pleasure. We know there are thousands of podcasts out there, so it makes us extra special to know that you'll be spending the next 40 minutes with us. And by us, I'm talking about myself and my fabulous guests who are joining me for the very first episode of this new series. And we'll be going head to head in a war of the words a little later on. let us They are friends, I think, but let's see if they will remain <laughs> friends later. My first guest is a former bookseller turned author. Her novels include Bone China, The Shape of Darkness and The Silent Companions, which, as I recall, was chosen as a Radio 2 book club pick. A real, real mark of quality, that. Her short story, The Chillingham Chair, was included in the Haunting Season anthology, which was an instant, instant, ladies and gentlemen, Sunday Times bestseller. And recently, she's been working on a dramatic podcast, a bit like this. Here to tell us about her latest novel, The Whispering Muse, it's Laura Purcell. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here and to see you again after It's been a long time. Years. Yes. And my second guest is an award-winning author whose novels include The Grace Keepers and The Gloaming. She's also written a short story collection, flash fiction and a short memoir. Her books have won numerous prizes, including the Scott Prize and the Gavin Wallace Fellowship. And she was selected, I believe, if I remember correctly, for the Radio 2 book club. My goodness, <laughs> they really know what they're doing there, don't they? In 2019, she was selected as one of the 10 most outstanding LGBTQ writers for the International Literary Showcase. And she's here to tell us about her new novel, Now She Is Witch. It's Kirsty Logan. Hello. Hello. Lovely to see you again as well. Thank you. I was trying to do the maths and I think it's been maybe seven years could be yeah, six. Yeah. It'd be, it's definitely six. Definitely six. Definitely six, isn't it? And I just feel like it's like old friends now. Just back, uh, back. It's like it's like the six years didn't really happen. No. But the, quite a lot has happened, um, both in terms of books, publishing events, babies, things like that, you know. Just the usual, just yeah. Just all the usual yeah, stuff, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. But it's lovely to have you both here and, and to, to spend a bit of time nattering about books and about your two new books. And you two know each other, right? This is you, we you, do. You are mates. Yeah, we've done, we've done lots of these things together, yeah. We've done lots of events, and mm-hmm. um, when I was a newbie author, Kirsty was very kind to me, and so she's a lovely person. <laughs> and she writes great books, and oh, you. you should all buy them. 
don't know why I was kind. I must have been having a good day. <laughs> Actually, horrible. She's got a real competitive spree to her. Oh, yeah, I'm going to find out when we go head to head, aren't I? <laughs> we'll, find, we'll see if you're still talking after um, So over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to talk about these, these new novels. We're going to talk about your writing, get some reading recommendations. And, of course, we will do the book off. Uh, but more on that later. Uh, let's talk about the Whispering Muse, shall we, Laura? Yes, please. Um, what ta- what came first, the title or the idea? The idea okay. it actually had it went through several different titles, um, and the Whispering Muse uh, was selected at last. Um, and <laughs> my husband came up with it. He actually came up with my title for The Shape of Darkness as well. Right. So I feel like he should be getting some kind of commission. <laughs> <laughs> because some, I, I, I had um, a chat recently with an author who basically said. I am not allowed to choose my title. I'm so oh. bad at choosing titles. <laughs> you know, over time they've just gone, don't bother. They are really difficult. I mean, I remember with my first book, The Silent Companions, I had the title to start with and I tried to build themes around that title and it was really helpful to have that to start with. But some books, they're not mm. like that and you have the idea and it's only once you've written it and read through it you really understand what it's about and and what key thing you need to get in that title. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, you like the sound of a title and you tell it to a publisher or even just a friend and the look on their face is just... Tells you everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, nope, scrub that one out then. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know if I'm getting worse at titles because my first few books have the title that I originally put on them. Oh, yeah. Mm. But my last two... In fact, my last three um, have been changed from my original title. So I don't know, am I getting worse or is it because I'm kind of levelling up in my career and they're like, we've got to take these titles more seriously. <laughs> Your books are more complex. They need more yeah. complex titles. That's what I'll tell myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about um, Lilith and Jenny then, Laura, and just set up this story for us for those that won't have got to the book yet. Okay, so The Whispering Muse is set in a Victorian theatre and it follows Jenny from the costume department. Now, she's been sent to spy on upcoming actress Lilith Erickson, who is dazzling the crowds with this almost superhuman talent. Um, but there are rumours that a dark pact lies behind this success. And the more Jenny gets to know Lilith, the more she starts to fear that rumour might be true and that it might have dreadful consequences, not just for Lilith, but for the entire theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, you're quite into your Greek myths? Not hugely, no. I'm really not. But um, I wanted to write something in a haunted theatre and um, I love tragedy plays. Um, yeah. I really love a good tragedy. Chekhov, Ibsen, give me those. Um, anything that's going to make me cry, I love it. Um, and so when I was writing about a tragic actress... I was sort of looking at the theatre masks that they always put up, you know, the comedy and tragedy yeah. ones... Um, and they have names because they're to represent the comic and tragic muses, uh, Thalia and Melpomene. Um, And when I was thinking about an actress, you know, that would really dedicate her life to acting tragic parts, I thought, well, this might be an inspiration for her. So I started to do a bit of research into Melpomene. um, And the Melpomene in my book, she's... I mean, she's very loosely based on myths. She's very much my own creation, yeah. and that takes a little bit of a turn, as you'll see as you read the book. Um, but, yeah, I like to keep her this shadowy figure. It's it's not a Greek myth retelling, unfortunately. No, it's like... not a Greek myth retelling. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and they're so iconic, aren't they, those those faces? Yeah, the theatre masks. Yeah. Just, and, um, you know, to me, it links into Phantom of the Opera with a yeah. the theatre mask. Um, they're so iconic. They're what you, you see them and you immediately know that means... 
theatre. So I really liked getting that into the book. I really thought it was going to be on the cover, actually, The Tragedy Mask, but it didn't didn't make it. Didn't make it all, no. (laughs) All right. Can't have everything, can we? You've got your husband's title. Yeah, yeah, maybe the paperback. Maybe the paperback, yeah. That's true. There's always the paper. There's always the international edition. Exactly. Um, We'll come back and talk about the theatre a little bit more because I always find it, it's, I find it a fascinating sort of setting for lots of stories. Um, Kirsty, let's talk about now she is a witch for a little bit. Uh, a witch story like no other, this. Mm. <laughs> Can you introduce us to, to Lux and set up your story here for us? Yeah, so my short version <laughs> is that uh, Now She Is Witch is about um, a medieval witch revenge quest. That's my short version. I love that. Yeah. I've got a slightly longer version, which is, it's about two women. So uh, it's about Lux, who when we meet her, she's lost everything. Um, Her mother has been killed as a witch. Her home is destroyed. She just has nothing. Mm. Um, And she has been banished from this sanctuary, this kind of home for wayward girls, um, for reasons that we we discover later. Um, And... At her door arrives a stranger named Else, who always keeps her hood up. She seems to have these strange scars around her mouth. We're not really sure what's going on with her. She seems kind of familiar, but Lux isn't really sure why. And Else wants revenge against the Lord, who is the man who sends the witches to burn. And Lux doesn't really want to take revenge on him, Mm. but she doesn't really have any other choice. So they go on this epic quest um, to the frozen north um, where the witches live. Um, They have various adventures along the way and um, revenge is sought, but perhaps not in the way that we might expect. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, we like the dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Where did the uh, idea for this one come from then? Well, it was kind of a two-part thing. I really wanted to write about the Middle Ages. This book was a really long time coming for yeah. me. So I started it about six years ago, which has been my longest um, time to to work on a book. Um, there was a lot of research. Um, also, I became a parent. Also, there was this pandemic. don't know if you guys <laughs> heard, of it. heard about yeah, it. Heard of it, yeah. <laughs> It was that. It kind of slowed me down a little bit. So there were various things going on that's kind of made it made it more of a process. Um, so it's quite a long time ago now that I, I started working on it. And I was really fascinated by the Middle Ages. It seemed to me a really intriguing time because it was a time of well, very comparable to now, I think that there was a lot of a lot of wonder and a lot oh. of um, magical thinking, um, and there was also actually quite big what were considered scientific advancements at the time, which we might not, you know, for a long time it was called the Dark Ages, which is not a term that that is used now, um, and I think that's been reimagined. That mm. that for a long time that was believed to be the case, and now people are saying, well, actually, no, it was a time of um, great belief and great developments, just perhaps not the way we would think of them. And similarly, witches were very interesting to me at the time, and because there has been this influx of witch books, it's pretty clear that it was on a lot of people's minds. Right, witches are. Not everywhere at the moment, yeah. but like there's this, they're, they're the very much the zeitgeist at the moment, right? It's funny, isn't it? Because six years ago, they very much weren't. But yeah. it, there was obviously something. We were all swimming in the same cultural waters. So there was obviously something happening, which meant that a lot of us had witches on our minds. And obviously, it takes Reruns a long time to write a book. <laughs> Could be. I mean, I haven't seen it for a long time. Maybe we just really got into watching Hocus Pocus? I don't know. <laughs> don't yeah. know. Lots of flowy black clothes. Room I don't really on the know. Broom, yeah, just, yeah. Just selling lots of copies. I don't know. Could be. But I was really interested in this idea. And again, to me, it was this this reimagining. So for a long time, historically, witches were believed to be evil. They made pacts with the devil. They sacrificed babies. They had sex with the, with the demons, mm. all this stuff. And then 
kind of around the 60s and 70s, there was this sort of reimagining. No, no, they were healers. They were innocent midwives. They were herbalists. It's this um, misogynistic destruction of women. And I guess I wanted to try and complicate that and think, why is that the binary? Why is it always a binary? Why does it have to be evil or innocent? Mm. And I was really intrigued by this idea of the perfect victim, which to me seemed very relevant to a lot of conversations that are happening um, in pop culture right now. Um, a lot of public figures that I'm sure we can all think of who are not perfect victims because nobody is. And I guess I wanted to ask, do we have to be perfect? Does a woman, a man, a non-binary person, anyone, do they have to have never harmed anyone, never had a bad thought in their life for it to be wrong, mm -hmm. to discriminate against them or burn them? So Lux in the book and else actually, they're not, quote, good people necessarily. <laughs> that You know, Lux, she is horny, she is hungry, she steals, she will lie to get what she wants. Um, she's not sort of evil necessarily, but she she's not a perfect saint and I don't believe that anybody is but my point is does she have to be does she have to be perfect exactly I mean aren't we all who's who's completely innocent who's never wronged Me. anyone <laughs> obviously you exactly. <laughs> my dog my dog's never wronged your, do anyone. your dog of course yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah I just really wanted to to with the middle ages and with witches I just really wanted to think why does it have to be a binary always yeah. why can't things be just more expansive and more interesting than that I think that's really what the gothic is about as well, isn't it? And that's what I love the genre too. I think mm. we live in a very polarised society mm. where they sort of say you have to think this or think that. And actually both can be true at the mm. same time. But, you know, talking of the, the witch sort of renaissance or whatever we want to call it of the past few years, do you think gothic fiction's in a good place at the moment? Yeah, I think so. I've, I'm certainly getting um, a lot of requests to read new Gothic books that are coming out. Oh, so okay. that suggests they're being acquired and being published. Um, yeah, I think it is in a good place. And people are sort of willing to open up to this uncertainty in these uh, liminal spaces, as they call mm. it. I mean, you still have, you know, you get a lot of people that they want their fiction very neatly tied with a bow, very neatly concluded goodies and baddies and that's fair enough if that's what you want that's great but it's been really nice for me to see more people sort of exploring these different ideas as Kirsty said you know the non-binary of things mm. and um, a bit more of a intellectually complex I guess and morally complex yes. tales and mm. I think it's got something to do with that and, and this is me getting my, my sort of like uh, pop psych head on but speaking to quite a lot of readers and authors recently I think there's been quite a reach from readers for what we might call feel-good fiction so just mm. take me away on a happy journey that perhaps is tied up neatly um with some good with some nice characters and that I can just sort of be escapist in that sense that I can just get, get into like a nice happy place yeah. with my books and then on the other side of that still escapist I think is I'm living in this world and I'm being bombarded by the news of what's happening in this day and age. Take me away to somewhere that's like either older or completely, you know, that's fan worse. Fantasy, yeah, <laughs> a, a complete fantasy world or somewhere that's worse. Yeah. And I think that is that is happening more. I think there's this real like need for escapism, perhaps from from the daily 
toil. Yeah, I think that escapism gets a bad name. I think the <laughs> only people who deride escapism are perhaps the people who've never felt the need to escape from anything. And I mean, those people are very fortunate and I envy them their nice lives. But I don't <laughs> think that that is the case for most people yeah. in this world. Um, and I don't think you have to dislike your life to sometimes not want to be just eternally present. This sort of horror of being perceived mm. or the horror of being present sometimes we need a break and it's funny I'm not going to shame anyone for anything that they like to to enjoy reading or watching for me horror and the gothic and darker stories have always been my safe space mm. yes. they're my feel good um because just this is just me personally everybody is different um to me, when I'm going through a difficult time, um, so, you know, I don't I don't mind saying um, I've gone through many difficult times in my life, as many of us have, issues of mental health. And I am a parent now, but my wife and I had a very difficult journey to get to, to where we were. It took us, mm. just as this book took six years, getting a child took us about six years as well. Um, so when I was in those times, the last thing that I personally wanted was to be presented with a world where everything was great or everything came easily to All someone. these smug, happy people. Exactly. Yeah, yes, yes. F you. <laughs> I want to know about your nice life. <laughs> but I, I wanted to see someone be in a difficult place, mm. be in a dark place, because that's where I was at the time. So for me, when I feel low and I want comfort, I actually go to horror. Right, right. To comfort me. Because yeah. it is about, usually, not always, horror has some kind of redemptive ending. The the monster is defeated even temporarily. Um, the the place is, is escaped from. We managed to make it out of the haunted house. The the ghost is appeased, maybe temporarily, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it yeah, is yeah. appeased. Yeah. So I found that actually really comforting. I mean, uh -huh. how about you, Laura? It is. No, exactly the same. And I think sort of saying about escapism in books, books have always been my refuge when times are hard. And, you know, I think... I love a mix of fiction. I love a fluffy romance. I love a gory horror. I love, you know, I, anything. Um, but to me, a lot of horror deals with trauma and it's great when you're going through a difficult time because it reminds you that you're not alone. Mm. There are some like big feelings that you can't necessarily discuss with just a mate down the pub or, or something. But actually you sit down and read a book and read these intense feelings from someone else and you think, ah, Someone, someone else has been here yeah. it's very comforting to feel you're not alone in that mm. and I find that quite difficult when I won't give away the ending of the book obviously because I want oh, no, to read yes, of course, <laughs> now she is which but it was difficult then to end the book because I didn't want it to have a downbeat ending I wanted Lux to go on this journey and I wanted Else also to go on her own journey mm. and I wanted them to come out with some kind of redemption but then I couldn't just have everything be perfect you know she is still a young woman, poor, um, I won't, again, I won't give away too much, but she's sort of physically different um, in a certain way. So I couldn't just have it be, and then everything was great forever and ever. Because it <laughs> wouldn't have been, it just wouldn't have been. So it was difficult because I wanted it to be in some way realistic, believable ending for her, but it had to be redemptive in a way that made sense for her. So I mm. think that can be a bit tricky. How do you come no, to it can, It can be. I think yeah. especially... Um, you know, no story ever really ends, does it? One ending is a beginning. You know, even thinking about books I love that have happy endings like Pride and Prejudice, like there's a whole other story starting there. <laughs> Lizzie's having to be a wife in, you know, a big house, completely different dynamic, change of... I don't feel there are... Will she engage with where the money where... and her family <laughs> Will we ever discuss this, perhaps? There's never, you know, there isn't, you know, in life as well, there's not happy ever after. There are 
you know, you can get into a better place in your life and you can have some very happy times, but nothing's ever right done fine now. Mm. And I, I feel I feel that books should reflect that in a way. Um, to, for one reason, to stop us getting ridiculous expectations <laughs> that <laughs> we'll get to this stage and everything will be fine. But, you know, I like a bittersweet ending myself mm. when you get there. Something's lost, something's gained, and everybody's learnt a lesson. Have you got, <laughs> have you got stuck on an ending? You know, writing one, I mean. I often have the ending in mind before I start. Right, okay. That tends to be. What about you, Kirsten? I always have the ending in mind, and mm. then by the time I get to it, it's different. <laughs> it so I, I actually always, every single book I've written, I've rewritten the start and end when I've finished the full oh, draft. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so I always think before I start, I'm like, I know exactly how this is going to yeah. start and end. And then by the time I've finished it, because you go on a journey writing the book. A book is never about what you think it's going to be about. I mean, because that would be a bit boring, wouldn't it? If you knew exactly, you couldn't spend six years doing something that you knew exactly how it would pan out. You would get bored. Or however many years it takes, you can take longer. Who knows about the next one? Maybe 10, maybe <laughs> yeah, 10 years yeah. this time. Um, maybe six so, months. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Baby might say otherwise. Um yeah, so I think you, you go on a journey, so so it changes. So, yeah, I always think I know the ending, just like I think I know the title. Yes. And then, and then I get there and I learn otherwise. Well, so you yeah, clarify I went your on, ideas, exactly, don't you, as you write. Yeah. I went on it through a few different endings for Now She Is Witch, and it, it did have quite a downbeat ending um, initially, and it, it didn't sit right. And it was my editor that said, that's not right. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know, I thought I could get away with it. <laughs> I, don't know what uh, I don't know what to do. So I actually went through quite a few um, different endings and the whole ending section was way longer. Actually, the whole book was way longer. Um, and we were almost at final edits. And I I read everything out loud to my wife. And um, pre-baby, we used to go on these big, long road trips. So actually, The Gloaming, one of my previous books, I read her almost that entire book that we were... Um, in Iceland on oh, holiday wow. and we drove out to this uh, iceberg um, this glacier rather uh, which I won't try and mangle <laughs> mangle the <laughs> name of it because it's in it, Icelandic yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's a very long drive it took us about five hours there and five hours back absolutely worth every second mm. of that drive it was absolutely stunning one of my best memories but I read her the book the whole way but obviously now with the baby we don't really have time for that so what I did was I recorded it all like on my phone oh, and wow. she listened to it on oh, her wow. commute so cute. yeah um which was it's so useful to me I've read everything I've ever written I've read out loud to her um either recorded or, or in person and we were almost at final edits and I was like right well now is the time to read to Annie my whole book and as I was reading it I thought I'm bored. I am boring myself reading this. So I actually cut oh, wow. forty thousand words. Oh my god! Out wow. of the book. Yeah. So it was it was way longer. And then I just thought I cannot bore myself reading this. No. So <laughs> I though, cut loads out. Yeah. When you've been over a book like ten times, like, I am bored of all my books by the time <laughs> I finish them. Like, by the time I get to talking about them, I'm like, oh, this thing again. Like, so I've rewritten it so many times, and you know, I kind of have the opposite. My husband goes, it's not boring. It's just boring mm. to you because you know exactly you've what's going to happen. Lived it you've lived so it so much, many yeah. times. And all so. this sort of little clever um, foreshadowing yeah. seems really obvious to you because you've put it there. <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, oh, this is so amateurish. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's really weird, isn't it? It's hard to judge when, when mm -hmm. but sometimes you do feel something, you're like, no, this this actually is not 
I'm sure nothing you wrote was ever boring, Kirsty, but maybe too much padding. It just mm. it took too long it didn't to, to get going. I've yeah. heard it um, when you stay in the visitor centre too long. <laughs> you, just sort of, you don't get going quickly yeah. enough. Yeah. And it's funny, I think, the way that your brain works, you think certain things are really obvious and they're not necessarily obvious to other people. So in uh, one of my books, Things We Say in the Dark, which was a short story collection, and a lot of the stories were about fears to do with pregnancy and birth and parenthood. And I had this story that was about um, this world where when you're pregnant, it's with certain fruits or vegetables. And then you give birth to the fruits and they kind of congeal or converge yeah, to become story. a baby. And I remember my mum reading that and going sort of jokingly like, what's wrong with you? I can't <laughs> believe I raised you. And, you know, what, how does your brain work like this? And I was like, that is so obvious to me because when you're pregnant... All you hear is your baby is the size of a kiwi. So I was like, why has no one done the fruit baby story? <laughs> it seemed to me, I'm like, th that is the most obvious pregnancy horror story is a fruit baby story. Fruit baby. Duh, <laughs> fruit it baby. Old fruit baby story. So, yeah, to me, that seems really <laughs> obvious. But then it just shows everybody's brain works differently. Well, do you think that's a generational thing as well? Because I'm not sure if maybe it's been more in our sort of era that it's been described as fruit. I know people have like like pregnancy app that says that, doesn't it? Like no, Maybe, but I mean, there's a lot of writers in our generation and I personally haven't read a fruit no, baby no. story. Maybe they are out there and I just no, haven't I just read them. I wondered if that was why your mum didn't quite twig it. But I don't know. Or I mean, a lot of people have said to me, wow, that fruit baby story, really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I think it's the most obvious one. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? It, it? it has to get out into the world for you to then realise that mm. people are, well, to gauge what people think about it and the different takes on your stories and characters and things. And I know there's been events sometimes where I've been chairing them and a question has come from a reader and the author's literally gone, oh, I've never thought about them like that, you know. And it is because we're all determining, you know, what we're all making of the characters in the story are out, we're putting our own lives on it a bit and our own it's spin magical, which is great. isn't it that yeah. I think that a book can be so many different things to yeah, different people it's great it's I like when people give you more credit well give me more credit than I deserve <laughs> like with the, the Grace Keepers for example um, there's a character called Callanish which is um, a, a place in Scotland the Callanish standing stones are ancient stones and then there's a bear in it um, and um, also one of the characters is called North and then I saw this review that was like wow this is so clever because the the bear constellation something to do with North over Callanish stones and I was like yeah I didn't mean it <laughs> but like no wow I'll take it I wish I was that clever <laughs> you were just channeling something yeah right <laughs> yeah it was all planned all planned thank yep, you yep mentor that thank <clears> you absolutely set that up for someone's PhD right now <laughs> <laughs> um, as well as uh, I love talking about your new books and new books in general I always love to ask my guests what they've been reading and enjoying as well because obviously as we write we also read voraciously don't we um anything you'd like to shout about Laura that you've read and enjoyed recently well so because I'm going on uh, on tour as such promoting the whispering muse with lots of wonderful other authors I've been reading their books quickly mm. before events so I'm reading Kirsty's now and I've just finished it's all right, reading, isn't it? um <laughs> I'm straight into it. I knew I would be. Like, it's always a treat to get one of Kirsty's books. Um, but so recently, yesterday I did a, an event with Amelia Hart and Rosie Andrews. So I've just finished reading their books, um, Wayward and The Leviathan. Mm. And they're both brilliant reads, both very different reads. Um, the Leviathan is a kind of brooding, uh, slow burn, dark towel that I really loved um, set in the Civil War. And Wayward is set across three different generations of women and uh, 
they all share a kind of birthright and it's about them claiming their own power and the links across time for them. I really they're, enjoyed they're both, Wayward. Both actually. great books. Really I haven't read the other one, but I did really enjoy Wayward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And was it a good event? It was amazing. Oh, we went to Waterstones, Cambridge, and um, they made like displays for us of our books. And my one, because I had Lilith's dressing room, so I had all the costumes oh, no. and like lilies and her mirror and her comb and things. It felt like I was just walking in there. It was really magical. And why isn't it so lovely to think, um, you know, that they've taken the time not only to do that, but actually that they've picked out, you know, they've obviously... Yes. It's not they've like they've skimmed the book or anything oh, no. or sort of read the blurb. It's like, oh, you've actually you've thought about this and you're getting like actually to the crux of the characters in it. Well, it's amazing that like that place that came alive in my imagination has now come alive in theirs. Isn't that and, great? And that's just everything you want as an author, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I feel like writing a book is like having a dream, a very intense dream or a hallucination, and then you you just exist inside it for so long. And I think there's a period for me anyway when I'm writing that you spend longer inside this world that you've made up than in the real world. And so it's more real to you. Yeah. And then it's so surreal and wonderful when you can sort of let people inside your dream. Yes. <laughs> and they it's scary as well sometimes. Yeah. I think there's always a part of me that's like, hey, that's private. That's yeah. fine. That's yeah. fine. No, it's really not private. You've just published it. <laughs> I still find it weird when people have read my books that aren't like my mum's friend. <laughs> like, but I don't even know you. <laughs> Why would you do wow, this? Wow, yeah. <laughs> Why are you asking me about the bear? Yeah. <laughs> and what about you, Kirsty? What have you read and enjoyed recently? Well, of course I've read The Whispering News, yes. Yes. Um, which is my favourite of yours so far, actually. Oh, um, I like that you mentioned Phantom of the Opera because I think it's got this similar, like, very heightened yeah. sort of panic to it, mm. which I really enjoyed. I really like that in a book, this sort of um, very over-the-top, passionate... Yeah, theatrical. Um, very mm. theatrical, operatic almost. Yeah. Like I really enjoyed that. Um, I liked that a lot. It reminded me, um, I love the TV show Hannibal, and that's also like... It, it's oh, not as gory that, as Hannibal. Oh, it, it is a bit gory. It's got a little bit of gore. A, bit, a of gore. bit of gore. Um, but it's got that kind of heightened operatic yeah. feel to it, which I really enjoyed. Um, I've also read loads of brilliant debuts recently. Um some are out, some are not quite out yet. So um, Heather Parry has a book called Orpheus Builds a Girl, mm -hmm. which is fantastic, which is difficult to describe without giving away too much, but I will try. Mm. So it's based on a true story about um, a doctor who becomes obsessed with a beautiful young woman and thinks he can cure her tuberculosis, which he can't, and she dies. And that is not where his love for her ends. Oh, so I right. won't give away wow. too much. It's very dark. God. Very thoughtful, very beautiful, really good. Highly recommend that. Um, also, Camilla Grudova, who you might know as a short story writer, had a novel out called Children of Paradise, which is set in a sort of crumbling, failing cinema in Edinburgh. Quite surreal, really strange. And it's based on um, a cinema in Edinburgh that she worked in, which right. is now shut down. Um, so a lot of it's based on her real experiences, but sort of heightened because... Camilla lives on another plane of existence and the way her imagination works is just incredible. The places she goes with this book, um, just absolutely amazing. Um, I loved, again, you might know Julia Armfield as a short story writer. Yes. Um, she has a book, Our Wives Under the Sea, which I loved so much. Really surreal um, about this relationship between these two women. One of them um, goes deep down into the sea in a bathysphere and 
comes up changed and it's about their relationship and, and what happens between mm. them I love a bit of deep sea These horror sound yeah. amazing yeah, they <laughs> sound and there's one that's not quite out yet um, by Alice Slater uh, called Death of a Bookseller which these are all really different books um, and Death of a Bookseller great is title as well I don't so know why I'm good. drawn to that yeah it's just so dark and I this is meant in the best possible way it is the stinkiest book that I've read <laughs> since Perfume, Patrick Buskin's Perfume, yes, is that a book book. that you can smell as you're reading it. And mm. Death of a Bookseller, like you can smell it. It's so vivid and so sensual and so sensory. Um, so recommend all of those. Goodness me. I mean, the list has got <laughs> I'm gonna be longer, burnt. isn't it, now? <laughs> Blimey. Um, well, brilliant recommendations. Thank you for, for both of those. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And it's time for... Another now, because it's time, ladies, for the book off. So this is where you each get three minutes uninterrupted, if you wish to take the three minutes, to tell us about a book that you love and you think we should all read. Um, Some people choose not to use all three minutes, and that's absolutely fine. But if you're still talking at the three-minute mark, I'll either be ringing you out or honking you. Um, Now, we've got to get a bit of admin uh, out the way first before we find out what you're putting forward. And... We always say the person who's travelled the furthest gets to decide if they go first or second. Now, mm. that's you, Kirsty, by a long shot, I think, from up <laughs> from near Glasgow. Glasgow. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, would you like to go first or second? No, I want to go second. Oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> what? Ooh, tactics. <laughs> so that means then, Laura, you get to decide uh, which you'd prefer to have, but uh, ringing you out or honking you out. <laughs> three minutes. Do you want the horn or do you want the bell? You've got to have the honk, haven't you? You've got it's to have just the honk, more fun. Yeah. The bicycle <laughs> horn for you, no problem. Um, so, as I said, it's three minutes. It's uninterrupted. And before we start the clock, do you want to tell us the book that you're putting forward? Yes, the book I'm putting forward is Circus of Wonders by Elizabeth McNeil. Oh, lovely, Elizabeth. Wonderful. OK, here we go then. Three minutes on the clock for you, if you wish to use them, for Circus of Wonders. Over to you. So if, like me, you really loved the film The Greatest Showman but thought, hmm, I'm sure this isn't really historically accurate, (laughs) Circus of Funders is the book for you um, because it follows Nell, who's um, born with birthmarks all over her body. She's 
living as a violet seller, but she's not treated very well. She's sold by her own father into a, quote, freak show in the circus. Um, and it really explores the nitty gritty of that, um, you know, both the glamour and the grime of this life. Um, and as she joins Jasper to no, Jasper Jupiter's, if I can pronounce it, Circus of Wonders, um, she she sees how some people have made a real fortune and lived a life that they never would have been able to had it not been for this freak show um but she also sees how people have been degraded even in death their bodies sold to be put on display um and she comes up against these two brothers in the circus so one is jasper the owner of the circus and he thinks he's the bee's knees he thinks he is wonderful um he has such a soaring ambition but actually you see that everything he has is built on the back of his performers and he's not actually that amazing at all. And then you have Toby, who Nell falls in love with, who is a really interesting character to me because he wants to be noticed. The performers have spent their lives trying to hide that they're different, trying to fit in, um, whereas Toby is completely the opposite. He feels that he's never excelled himself in anything. He's always come second to his brother. He wants to be noticed. He almost wants to be part of the circus. Um, so it's the dynamic between these three characters coming to the fore. Um, it's just so beautifully written and it's exciting and all the characters are very believable and realistic. They have, you know, intense backstories Um it's got a bittersweet ending and I, I just felt it really did the subject justice. It's a very difficult subject talking, you know, about physical differences in the Victorian era and the monetization of that. Um, and it was just handled really sensitively and just a, a beautiful lyrical read. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm sold. Um, I am sold. And you sold it in two minutes and 20 seconds. Well, then, so, you know, you really didn't need, didn't need all three minutes. I'm and... reading the, the Doll Factory right now. Oh, yeah. yeah that's it's really good. Brilliant. It's a lot darker than I expected, actually, because it's got a very pretty cover. Yes. But it's quite yes. dark. Yes. Which is why we like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved that book. Mm. And I really enjoyed Circus of Wonders as well. Um, and we'll come back and talk a bit more about it. Um, have a rest now. You can have a sip of your tea. I will. Because um, I'm putting three minutes back on the clock for you, Kirsty. And just before we get it going, tell us the book you're putting forward, please. Well, very different. My book is Moominland Midwinter by Tove Janssen. Yes! Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Moomins are finally on book off. How have you never had a Moomin? I don't think I've ever had a Moomin. So, so, <laughs> you didn't tell me I was up against Moomins. I would have up <laughs> <laughs> my game. Yeah. Um, so, for the first time, over to you, Kirsty, to tell us about uh, so, Moominland Midwinter. Moominland Midwinter. Um, I'm very fond of this book for a lot of reasons. Tovi Anson um, is an absolute hero of mine. Just every single photo of her, I think, you are just absolute goals of my life. Um, and I read this book on a residency in Finland, um, sitting by a window with the rain pounding down, and I read the entire book just in one go. Um, and it was just such a wonderful experience and the reason that I love this book so much I will get to but basically this is a very simple story uh Moomin Moomin Troll um is meant to be asleep so the Moomins hibernate through the winter um but Moomin Troll wakes up in the middle of winter and decides to go out from the lovely cozy dark house with his family and goes out into winter and it's horrible it's cold he slips over doesn't know anybody it's all very frightening, very distancing. However, through time, he 
becomes to, he comes to see the beauty of winter. Um, he comes to make friends there. He realizes that actually the snow and the ice are very beautiful, and that summer and winter are very different, but both can be beautiful in their own way. Now, the reason that I love this so much, and this is just a theory, this is not confirmed by Tove Anson, our hero. Um, the theory is that this is a coming out story. Um, this is a story about living as a queer person. So when you, again, just a theory, um, but I, I'm very fond of this theory and it rings very true to me as a queer person, that at first when you end, when you leave the sort of safe, warm, dark, but as a queer person, restrictive, heteronormative world, at first it might qu seem quite frightening. Um, you don't know anyone. You don't know how things are supposed to happen. You might feel like you don't belong there. But over time, you will come to, to love that. And it's not that you necessarily actually have to choose one world or the other. Um, you can actually exist in both worlds if you choose. So that is why I love this book so much. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and did it in... Well, two two minutes and three seconds. Wow. There we go. There we All go. you needed. I love this. Oh, goodness me. Two very different books, which is why the book off is always so great, because you get two people talking about something, <laughs> two ends of the spectrum, um, but with such passion as well. Um, have a rest, Kirsty. We'll come back and talk about Moomin Troll in a moment. If I can return to uh, Elizabeth. Yes. Um, firstly, I have to say, I have to state for the record, uh, we love Elizabeth on this podcast. She's been oh, on the pod. We just love her as a human, as a writer, <laughs> as everything, really. She can do no wrong in our eyes. Um, hello, Elizabeth, if you're listening. She does listen occasionally, I think. Um, I'll tell her that this is on and then she will listen. So Circus of Wonders is brilliant, isn't it? Mm. Like, you, And I think, well, you both, you both know this. When you have a hugely successful debut novel to then go, right, what am I writing next? It's quite a big head... Fuck. Um, and is you know there's pressures for more pressure maybe from different sides that you didn't expect and I think Circus of Wonders was was that for her and yet I remember her talking about all the research she did about oh, the Victorians there's been and so much research in right there. because it comes through doesn't it mm. but not but not in a um... no not an info dump no 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 it's it's just but you can just tell that she knows what she's talking about as she goes through it and, yes you know in the world that Nell moves through. And yeah, I really think about that. With sec I often prefer people's second novels. I really think this as well. Like, um, I think with Jessie Burton was hugely successful with The Miniaturist. Yes. And don't get me wrong, I love The Miniaturist. Yeah, yeah. But I think her second novel, The Muse, was just like absolute <laughs> banger. Yeah. I, I was like, why was this not huger? And um, yeah, I felt the same, you know, with Circus of Wonders. Loved The Doll Factory, really loved it. But I thought with Circus of Wonders, I was like, wow, this is just even more. Yeah. Like, dialing it up um yeah. but it's strange how second novels often don't get that much as much it's attention a, yeah it's a weird thing isn't it in it, I, I don't know it's a weird trait that seems to happen sometimes in in publishing in general or in reviews yeah, so but i think sometimes people expect you to write the same book yeah, again it could and be that. obviously it's always a mark of a great author when they don't yeah. write the same book again when they write something quite different but um i think, I think the consumers are like why is it not just a carbon copy of the first one <laughs> <laughs> i liked the first one i want that again with different character names <laughs> yeah, just, so just go back and just change the names <laughs> and then reprint it it'll be fine it's so hard to get a debut book out and I never want to say this to, to people who are trying to get their first book out, but I think they kind of get harder. <laughs> yeah, like with yeah. each book, it gets harder. <laughs> it and I actually think, you know, sometimes people say, what's your proudest moment as a writer? And I think 
what they want is like the movie moment. Like, when did you get the call about your book deal? And those moments are lovely. But to me, it's actually really boring that my proudest thing is maintaining. Like, that I'm still here, still writing, still publishing. I'm like seven books in now. And I've got the eighth coming out. (laughs) To me, that's... Because that's hard. Yes. It's hard to sustain. It really is. Like, um, you know, it's, don't get me wrong, it's very difficult to have a huge hit as well. It's really hard to get there. But actually, I'm quite a firm believer in slow and steady wins the race. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. to, to have a career in writing and to keep keep selling steadily, I think, oh, is, is a huge feat. Yeah, my really mum used to be a bookseller. And um, every time we go into a bookshop and they have one of my you know, backlist, yeah. one of my older books. She's like, Kirsty, you're core stock. That's, that's the goal. Be that core is stock. the goal. Yeah. That is the goal. That's the thing. And, you know, people, <laughs> I've, you know, still people are still buying my first book. Well, that's not my first book. It's actually my third book, but my first gothic book, The Silent Companions, yeah. you know, published six years ago. Still selling today. That's just heartwarming. Yeah. You know, really and that it's finding new audiences and that your books are finding new audiences all the time, mm-hmm. whether that be The Gloaming or The Gravekeepers or the new one. You know, it's like, that's brilliant. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think Elizabeth has done exactly what we're saying. It's written a, a, probably a better, an even better book. Yeah, than yeah I think so. And I loved that you, you know, you said it's because it is a very difficult subject, actually. Yeah. But so well handled and written about. Really sensitive. I think it must have been really daunting to write. Um, you know, I thought about this because obviously we were sort of write around the same eras, and I've done a lot of research around those things. But you know, I wouldn't necessarily know how to deal with it myself, how how to come to it. But she does it in such a mature, considered way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you really see both sides of the coin. And like I said, all the grey areas in between. You know, where I was sort of saying things like the greatest showman seems to like glamorise this life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Obviously, we know it really, it really wasn't like that. Um, but then, having said that, there were some people that really made a fortune and a great lives for themselves that possibly they wouldn't have been able to yeah. if they hadn't sort of been exploited in this way. It's it's a really tricky subject, yeah, yeah. and um, I feel that like her her cast of characters in the circus explores this fully, like all the different aspects of it. They all suffer or benefit under a different aspect of this strange and cruel uh, regime do you know who's great on that um there's i don't know if you know she's a poet and a short story writer jen campbell and she has a youtube channel as well and she's done loads of brilliant videos on um disability and um bodily difference and she's just fantastic and it really made a huge difference to me um in one of my books the gloaming the main character has a scar on her face um and jen's videos and and just speaking to her really made me think about that really carefully Mm. um so yeah if anyone ever does want to touch on that in their work Mm. um jen's definitely one to to look into amazing she speaks very intelligently on that (laughs) And I love that Elizabeth's now got a brand new quote for the reprint, which is greatest showman, but historically. <laughs> yes, <I laughs> Laura Purcell. Please there put that go. on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what a fab pitch for Moominland. Um, sorry, Moominland Midwinter. Let's mm. give it its full title. I bloody love the Moomins. And I don't know anyone who doesn't really, even if they don't read them, you know, even if they haven't been sort of like obsessed with the books from an early age or whatever. I just think everyone kind of loves the Moomins or loves the idea of them or loves the, the images of them. Um, and I love that you said that, you know, Toby Anson is like a hero to you, that it's a simple story and yet there's this theory and I love the theory. I love the fact that it could be... I mean, it, it might be, right? I mean, it's all about interpretation. Completely. If someone interprets 
my one of my books in a strange way or in a way that I didn't intend. That is as valid as my interpretation. Absolutely. So I'm I'm a big believer in that. Um, and I absolutely love the image that you conjured up of just reading it in Finland on this sort of rainy day and that you just sort of read it in one sitting as well. Um, I think more people should read the Moomins, in, in, yeah. in all honesty. Yeah. yeah, and I think probably people of our generation are familiar with them because the cartoon was yeah. on TV when we were kids. Um, so I hadn't actually read the books and the books are a lot more complex and very beautifully written. I don't know the name of the translator off the top of my head, but they're beautifully translated. The prose is lovely to read. Mm. So definitely Definitely go for the books if you haven't read them before. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And stick the cartoon on as well if you fancy Why not? Because yeah, I haven't seen that in a few years. I'll probably <laughs> mind watching the movie again. No, my sole exposure has been to the cartoons, so you've inspired oh, me. Oh, you should read. Yes, up. you need to yeah. read. Yeah, I you need do. to read some, some Moomin's books. You'll love it, honestly. Um, yeah, so more people should read Moomin's. I think that's mm-hmm. what we've discovered. Toby Janssen is hero. Mm-hmm. Um, a queer icon. Right? And a queer icon. Yep. There mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. So... I'm now in the tricky position where I love the Moomins uh, and I love Elizabeth McNeil and I've loved both of your pictures. Look and what I'm, we've done I'm to like, you. Yeah, and now it's <laughs> the same time, isn't it? But do you know what? I'm going to take Elizabeth home, I think. <laughs> uh, I think Circus of Wonders is going to pip it, partly because um, I know her and if she listens to this and then I don't pick the book, she might, you know. I feel like if she lost to Toby Anson, like, we can all live with that. That's also true. That's true. That's also if, true. If I'm ever going to lose to anyone for anything, she'd probably I be don't okay with it, wouldn't she? Yeah. I just know. I can know exactly what you're seeing, Joe. In your in your mind's eye, you've got these two faces before you, like Elizabeth looking all pleading, and this glorious little moomin. <laughs> and going, then the moomin just going like, and you're like, like how do hello? I choose? They're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the moomin. Um, moomin well, troll going. You don't love me. What do you mean? <laughs> I have to hibernate again. <laughs> um, absolutely, read some moomins. That's what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved your pitch, Kirsty. Um, and, and, and anyone who hasn't read what any of Elizabeth McNeil's, or if you've only read the first one, The Dolph Factory, The Circus of Wonders, is wonderful as well. And hey, here's two more recommendations for you. The Whispering Muse by Laura Purcell, which is out now, published by Raven Books. And Now She Is Witch by Kirsty Logan is also out now, and it's published by Harville Secker. Thank you both so much for coming in for your recommendations for this wonderful chat it's been lovely to see you after far too long it's been a delight thank Thank you you. thank you Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.